you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro. Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 34. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 34. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sharon Hurley Hall. I've known Sharon for about as long as I've been involved in blogging, and it just so happens that's what we're going to chat about today. So let's just jump in and get right to it. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much for doing the show. I'm so happy to be here, Jen. Sharon and I are going to chat about freelance blogging today from the different types that freelance writers can pursue to what you might expect to earn as a freelance blogger. So Sharon, let's just start by kind of going over the different types of freelance blogging because they're, they're kind of, well, they're really different. You know, there's publication blogging where you might be more likely to have a byline, like writing for popular sites in your niche. Versus business blogging, where you might be more likely to ghostwrite for an executive or something for a company. Exactly. There is a a big difference. Um, Well, from the point of view of the writer, of course, you know, if you're getting paid, it's fine. Um, But the good thing about uh, publication blogging is, of course, that you get to use it for your own marketing as well. So I think it's always a good idea to have a mix of the two types because the, 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 the business blogging can be very well paid and they have a regular ongoing need for work and, you know, it's good to have some of those big names on your resume even if you can't necessarily always use them. One of the things that I do about that is that if I'm doing the um, contract myself, I try and work in either some way to get a recommendation or testimonial from them or an agreement that I can share the the work even though I'm not bylined. And some clients have actually gone for that, believe it or not. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a really good point, though. You know, when when you ghost blog, you can often make a lot more money doing that, but you don't have that byline to stick in your portfolio. And, you know, you gave some good examples in that you can also get testimonials and even the clients who aren't willing to let you mention specific content in your portfolio, some will allow you to share it with other prospects privately. So if you that's can get true. them to agree, yeah, definitely get them to agree if you can. So that's an excellent yeah. point. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that, um, that I do. And, and, you know, with those things... It's helpful to thrash that out right at the start, yeah. because once you've already started to write and they get used to things being a certain way, it can be very difficult to change the terms. That's true. <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, and you know, you kind of bring up another good point in that, um, especially with business blogging, a lot of these gigs are ongoing as opposed to one-off projects. So again, you know, like Sharon just said, you want to set those terms early because those terms might be in place for months or even years. I mean, hopefully you'll raise your rates over time, but, you know, other terms you're going to have to consider, you know, with these ongoing relationships that they're not always easy to change later if you're dealing with executives and business owners or companies who have legal departments 
especially those ones. No, they're not. They're not very flexible usually, no. <laughs> and it can actually take a long time to get the deal signed in the first in the first place. I, I yeah. was um last year, no, year before last, I was working for a big client in the tech space, and we were supposed to have a deal that ran from January to December which we started negotiating the previous October. By the time they'd got everything signed off, the deal started in March. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, it can be rough sometimes. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons that I, I like working with small business owners because I work right with the owner. Whereas with the corporate type of client where they have those legal departments and several people have to approve everything, oh my gosh, you know, it's such a headache. And that's something to consider because if you decide to do that, understand you're probably going to want to charge them a little bit more because they are a bigger headache sometimes. So make they, sure you're counting for that. They're definitely a bigger headache. It can also take a lot longer to get paid because yeah. they tend to have 30 to 45 day pay periods. Uh, you know, again, if I'm in charge of the contract, I'm going to put in the period that I like, which is exactly. a maximum of seven days. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't necessarily enforce it, but it's in there, so they're on notice that I expect <laughs> to get paid very promptly. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's an interesting thing, too, because I work with the small business owners more than the corporate clients. Yeah. I control that more, and I get paid up front in almost every case. And if they want a monthly contract or something, they're paying at the start of the month. And eventually you can do things like that. But as a new freelance blogger, you can't. And like, in, you know, in Sharon's case, if you're working with bigger clients, it's kind of like working for magazines as a freelance writer in that they are going to have their own terms and they're often a lot less flexible and willing to work on your terms. They don't necessarily think of you as a business owner so much as an alternative to an employee. And you're yeah. just kind of expected to go along. So you have to decide how much of that you're willing to do. I agree with you there, Jen. Uh, you know, it's always good to have a couple of those clients in the bag, but yeah. I like working with small businesses because I have much more control over what I get paid, what the yeah. deadlines are. And, you know, as you say, when you have been freelancing for a while and writing for a while, I mean, I've been writing for, oh gosh, nearly 30 years now and freelancing for the last 11. So I feel quite able to say, well, this is how I want it to be. And yeah, yeah sometimes there's a negotiation but I'm a lot more confident about saying those things and therefore I get more of what I want. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. It yeah. comes with time. You know, it's, you know, you said yeah. it's confidence and that'll come the more you do that. Um, yeah. You know, something else I love about the small businesses since we we're just talking about that is small business owners and tell me if this has been your experience too, but I find that they give me a lot more control to come up with the content and their content strategy in general and just to kind of run with it. Like they're kind of more hands off with me and they say, do your thing. Whereas the corporate ones, everything is approval, 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 approval. That's definitely the case. Although there are some small businesses that behave like big businesses yeah. in that respect. <laughs> That's true. You know? And, you know, I think as a writer, you know, when you're new and you, you know, you really, really want the work, you may feel obliged to go along with that. But I found for me personally that I don't work well with people that want to control every single piece yeah. of the process because I'm a professional and I basically know what I'm doing. So usually if they give me a little flexibility, they end up with something better than if they try to make me fit in a little box. I, I can agree with that. Yeah. 
And again, you know, maybe, maybe that will be different for a newer freelancer who's just sort of figuring out what works for them still. But as you go, you're going to have a certain style and a certain something that you bring to the table and that's what they're hiring you for. So, you know, you don't want them to stifle you. And there are control freak clients, you know, who will do that. But for the most part, it's not too bad. Um, I'd ha I've only had a few of them and I usually get rid of them pretty quickly. So, um, so yeah. And that's, that's another point though, is with blogging, because these are ongoing gigs, it's important to keep on marketing yourself, keep looking for other clients, don't get comfortable with these ongoing gigs that you have because if they are control freaks or if something were to change and you don't love that relationship, you want to be able to replace them at any moment with a better gig, better paying gig, you know, more freedom. Yeah. So and, don't and get comfortable. Always change. Yeah, yeah. Definitely always can't change. get comfortable. I had a, sorry, so I, had a, I had a big client actually that was all set, you know, like within a week of signing a new contract and then they had an internal shake shake up and the whole oh, thing disappeared. No. So that can happen with the big clients and the, and the small clients. So it's yeah. always good to keep your name out there. And that's why I also like doing byline work because even if I'm not actively doing something, that work speaks for me. Um, some people will know that I write for Crazy Egg. Mm -hmm. um, that gig alone brings, I would say, at least one or two inquiries to my inbox every month. You know, they don't all hmm. work out, but people see my work there and they want me to do similar stuff or related stuff or stuff of that quality, and they come to me. And that's you know, that's a great reason to, now I know that's not a guest posting thing for you, but that's one of a few situations where I would actually recommend that freelance writers guest post to try to get clients if you want to be a freelance blogger. And, you know, like you're saying, you get your name in the right places in front of the right people and something like that is helpful, whether it's a guest post gig or whether it's not even a gig, but, you know, just an unpaid guest post or if it's a regular gig. So if you're yeah. not getting these byline gigs like Sharon's pursuing, if you are focused more on ghost blogging, at least try to get your name out there a little bit through these one-off projects. Exactly. And if you're writing in a particular niche and, you know, you're doing good work um, as a ghost blogger, then there's nothing to stop you from using your research and doing something completely different that Absolutely. can be bylined as a guest post. You know, you save yourself a little time because you've done the research. Um, you know, bearing in mind that, and I think this is something to think about as well, you have to be careful of the terms of your contracts. Yep. You have to be careful about signing things like non-competes which I think you posted about recently. Yes, Jen, I did. I will link, I'll link to that in the show notes for them. <laughs> yeah, because because there are a lot of people that aren't used to working with freelancers and they want to treat them as other contractors or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so they want to stop you from being able mm -hmm. to work for other people in the same niche. But if you're a freelance blogger, that's your bread and butter. You can't afford to sign those deals. Exactly. And just to give them a quick you know, intro to what that post was about, it was the difference between a non-compete agreement versus a non-disclosure agreement. As a freelance writer, you should pretty much never sign a non-compete agreement. That is something that companies have employees sign so that they can't up and quit and go and take you know internal secrets and their knowledge from this company to a competitor. What a freelance client should be having you sign is a non-disclosure agreement which says that you can't take information that you've learned about or from this client into a competitor's gig. 
but you can still work with other competitors in that niche. Um, because like Sharon said, if that's your specialty, of course you're going to work within your specialty. You know, you, you can't not. That's kind of the gist of what you do for a living. So it's very important that you understand the difference. And I think the example I gave in the post, which is the only situation I can think of where a non-compete would be okay as a freelancer, would be if you work for a middleman client, like a marketing firm or an SEO firm or something, and you're telling them, I'm not going to compete by trying to poach your clients that you're hiring me to write for. But other than that, nothing like you should still be able to work for other firms and their clients um, after a certain amount of time after you've stopped working with that firm you should be able to pitch other clients even if they've happened to work with that firm um, so there should be a limit to it and it should not stop you from taking other gigs in your specialty but that's very important because like Sharon said a lot of clients especially the bigger ones they either don't know the difference between working with employees and contractors or they just don't care you know they have a standard contract that their legal department worked up and they haven't really thought these things through so NDAs yeah. are okay and and I think you're you're also free to offer alternatives I have a writer friendly contract that I use uh, it's very very simple I think I got it from Kathy Miller okay. <laughs> and, and, and adapted it um, and where possible I use that, you know, for the people that don't yeah. have huge legal departments, I use that instead. Or in one case, they had um, they had a contract that they, they had certain legal requirements they needed to comply with, but mine went on as an appendix, which actually laid out the terms that we were going to be working to. Okay. So there are all sorts of ways that, you know, you can be in the driving seat in terms of setting out what is and is not acceptable because a freelancer is not an employee. Exactly. And, you know, you have to have that little bit of confidence to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. And if you are really unsure and you think it's a potentially great gig, an ongoing gig, hire a lawyer to look it over with you. you know, it's not going to cost that much to have them go over one contract with you or just a specific clause that you're concerned with. Um, you know, we have a, my husband's self-employed too, we have a law firm that we go to for these kinds of things. and. You know, it's been really helpful to help us come up with contract terms or to adjust things that we weren't quite sure about. And it's really worthwhile if you think that's going to be an, a long-term, ongoing kind of gig. But don't be afraid to speak up or say, hey, let's rethink this. Mm -hmm. If you don't ask, then you you could end up signing something that's not going to work for you in the long run. So, exactly. you know, it's better to question things. I, I like to ask a lot of questions up front and make sure that I understand exactly what the intention is and make sure that the language of the, the um, contract reflects the intention. Yeah, definitely. You know, these are just, these things, they're such like little things, you know, that we think about and, oh, okay, here's a contract. I'm so excited to get it. I'll just sign it. But yeah, those things are going to be governing that relationship for, you don't know how long. So exactly. just, yeah. Build yeah. that confidence. Don't be afraid to ask. Ask for what you want, whether it's rates or terms. Um, so, you know, let's talk more about one-off gigs versus ongoing gigs. We kind of touched on this. But a lot of freelancers, they'll go out and look for paid guest posts. I hate that term, and I'll link them to an article <laughs> about why I hate that term and why you should not limit yourself to going out and looking for paid guest posts. But, you know, you'll find that in the show notes. 
But there's that. And then they're, you know, pitching a specific idea, almost like you might to a magazine versus these ongoing gigs. And I don't know, you know, I think now I'm seeing more ongoing gigs advertised. I don't think it was like that a couple of years ago. But have you noticed no. anything similar or do you not look for advertised at all? Oh, actually, I look because I like to keep an eye on what's out there. Okay. <laughs> you know, I um, I don't usually actually apply for them. I get a lot of work by referral these days. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I still, you know, every now and then there's something that really interests me. You know, when um, there was a, a few years ago, Buffer was advertising for a content writer. And I thought, oh, how cool to work for the blog of a tool that I actually like. So I sent in something. Okay. Didn't get very far. <laughs> <laughs> You know, those these things happen. But, um, yeah, I do see a lot more ongoing gigs. But I also see a lot of um, ads for bloggers and freelance bloggers and freelance writers who already have a profile, who already have authority. Mm -hmm. And what they're basically asking you to <laughs> do is to sell that authority on their behalf I by getting yeah. by getting by using, using your contacts to promote their stuff on somebody else's sites. And I, yeah. my thing is, don't do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. I, and you know, if you're not, if you haven't seen these ads, you know, what Sharon's talking about is basically they will say, you're already writing for Huffington Post or some other, you know, big site. And we want you to write content that includes a mention of us or our links, or we're going to tell you what to write about. And we want you to place it on these sites that you already have a relationship with. And we'll pay you for it based on the authority of that site. So it's it's total conflict of interest. You know, there's nothing about it that is okay from a freelance perspective. No. If you're writing for one site, if you have a relationship with one site, whether they're paying you or not, you should not be taking payments from someone else to place that content. It's completely unethical from a professional standpoint as a freelancer. You just don't do it. Um, but yeah, I see that all the time too. Yeah, and it hurts your relationships if you know yeah. as well. You know, if you're if you're placing stuff that's not really very good, just exactly. because you're going to you know get a couple hundred bucks out of it, exactly. uh, you know, you could you could really jeopardize an existing relationship with a blog or site editor. <laughs> yeah, and those editors, you never know where they're going to be tomorrow. They might not be in the same place, so you could be hurting yourself far into the future, and not just with a particular site. Exactly. It's, and in that sense, it's a lot like magazine writing. You know, you can't get paid by one person to write about them for a magazine that is paying you to write the content. <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, you know, and I'll mention this because I've talked about this on the blog. I don't want to confuse anyone. You know, I do ghostwriting for trade publications for some clients where a client will pay me to write a feature story that then gets placed in a trade magazine. The difference between when I tell you to do that as a freelancer versus this is that the publication, in that case the trade magazine, is not paying for that content. They know that it is promotional being given to them by this company and the company is simply hiring the freelancer to take their, to go and interview the owner or the executive and kind of put their ideas into, well, you're prettying it up for them because they can't write is really all it comes down to. So yeah. that is very different when the publication knows that this is coming from the perspective of the company or of the executive and it's to promote them 
Um, it's not directly self-promotional, the content itself, but they know what it is. And they take that kind of work in addition to paying freelancers. So it's a PR thing. It's a very long established practice. It's kind of where guest posting came from. And so there's that. And you can do something like that and be fine, but you can't kind of play both sides. You know, you're getting a benefit from one and you're getting a benefit from the other. That's you where you be, get it. You can't be underhanded about it. <laughs> exactly. Everyone has to know, you know, fully disclosed everything. Um, so, you know, but yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I've been seeing more ongoing blogging gigs advertised. Um, I think a lot of the one-off, the one-off posts are kind of just being lumped into the guest post classification yes. now, I think. So, and you know, like I said, that's another whole pet peeve. We're not going to get into guest posting in detail here because <laughs> I could, I'll I could talk, <laughs> yeah, I could talk for hours about how wrong freelancers get guest posting. And I have a post on that too, so I will link to it. Um, right yeah, back for Lauren. <laughs> I think I wrote that for Writer's Worth Month for Lori this year, so I'll yes. link that too. But um, yeah, you can use guest posts to promote yourself, and you should if you're a freelance blogger, but be careful, be responsible, and make sure they're targeting the right people, and that you're choosing the right blogs. That's what it comes and, down to. Yeah, be selective. Yes, exactly. It's not yes. whoever's willing to pay you, it's whoever's going to get you in front of the clients who are going to pay you a lot more. Exactly. I'll give, I'll give you an example. I do an unpaid guest post quarterly for a blog in the search market, um, and it gets a lot of attention. It gets shared widely. I get new clients from it. And quarterly is good because, you know, it's not like, you know, these guests, these people are saying, give me a guest post every month or every week because yeah. then, you know, it's a job. Exactly. <laughs> right? You know, one guest post a quarter unpaid. I'm prepared to invest that in my, in marketing my services. And that's a good way to think of it too, you know, is that is an investment and you need to think about the return. If you're not getting a return, you've stopped. And if, yeah, exactly. if you are, then you keep going. Um, <laughs> So yeah. we're kind of we've kind of started to touch on this a little bit, but let's jump into what I think is the real big issue in freelance blogging, which is pay rates. Um, we're talking about advertised, and I'm going to tell them the same thing I've been saying for years on this site is the best gigs are almost never advertised, and if all you're doing is looking at job boards you're not going to find the best freelance blogging gigs that are out there. You just aren't. No, it's a race to the bottom. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is. the bottom is not quite as low as it used to be. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it's, it's still pretty poor a lot of the time. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting that the the greater the requirements, the you lower know, they pay. The lower the pay, you know. <laughs> so they say, yes, we want you to be able to post on a high authority site. It must be at least 2,000 words. It must have images. It must have this. Add in some media. And um, by the way, we're paying you $25 an article. <laughs> you know. Why? Pretty much. Pretty much. That's how it goes. That is how it goes. And there's um, a lot of that stuff out there still. Yeah. I mean, at least it's no longer $5 or $10 I know. an article. Because, you know. <laughs> 
I remember years ago when I was a moderator over at the Digital Point Forums, and yeah. oh my God, <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> I now I used to get paid well by people there because I you know I was a moderator. I had been there a long time. I had taught people about PR and such, so they were hiring me for that expertise. But I'd watch newer content writers come in and see what they were advertising their rates as bloggers and what people were willing to pay them. And it was astonishing, like a dollar or less per article. And I was like, are you kidding me? And thank goodness I don't see that. I know it still exists, but yeah. nothing like it was, you know, just maybe five years ago. That was the norm. I know. Crazy. I think, I think you know, my, my, my sense is that instead of being a dollar an article, the bottom was moved to about 10. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but that's still not a lot. No, it's I mean, not. You know, I, you know, if you're a new freelance writer and you're thinking, I want to get some work and I have, you know, I, you know, this is what is out there. It doesn't pay you. You spend so much time researching those same, those same articles because you spend almost as much time as the people that are getting paid 20 times as much. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You'd be better off not writing that article and spending more time marketing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, that's it's interesting you said that because I remember when I was dealing with these really low paying markets, um, you know, as a blogger myself, trying to teach newer writers, don't do this to yourself. Um, I remember it was people who had come out of the woodwork then. And I think it was mostly other writers, you know, not even the people who were trying to hire them. Basically, what they would say is, yeah, it's all fine and dandy that you're telling people to only take $100 per post or $50 per post even. But this $5 per post, you know, we can knock that out in 10, 15, 20 minutes. So look how much we're making per hour. And, and it was like, how much time? It's like, hold on, how much time? Do you, let's say we're talking about like a 500 word post, because this is back when short posts were normal. I can knock out 500 words in, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes tops. Um, for like just basic content that doesn't require yeah. a lot of research. And so if I were making 50, which is what I would recommend as a bare minimum starting rate for a freelance blogger, I wouldn't suggest taking anything less than that. And if you have industry expertise, you should be charging more than that, even if you're new. Yeah. But yeah. even let's say you're doing that modest $50 per post. And then, the, you know, this guy would come in, oh, I'm making $5 per post, but I can write so many that I'm going to make more than you per hour. And it's like, honey, how how long do you think it takes me to write those 500 words? Just because it's paying me more doesn't mean that I'm spending hours upon hours upon hours. And, <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. Um, so, no, it's not, you know, the amount that you're getting paid is not going to directly correlate to how much time you're spending. So no, you're not, not at all. Yeah, you shouldn't have to write 10 posts to make the same amount of money. You're going to spend more time writing those 10 crappy posts than you did writing that one easily, yeah. easily. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So that argument, yeah. it never held water. It never made sense. Um, but they would make the same assumption over and over again, which was, Oh, if you're getting paid more, you must be spending all this extra time on it. It's like, Nope. <laughs> but, yeah. Nope. Because, because I, you know, I, re I remember those bad old days myself and, um, at about the time when posts started to get a little longer, you know, so, mm -hmm. you know, say 750 words ish and I could, to compare, you know, it didn't take me 
much more time to do a really good 750 word post than it did to do a sort of average, you know, one of those old keywordy things that people used yep. to like, yep. you know, um, because frankly, if you're a good writer and you're conscientious about what you do, you're still going to put in the time. So you might as well get paid for it. You have to spend, you have to put in the time to do the work properly if yeah. you're at all conscientious and therefore you might as well get paid for it. Exactly. And, you know, it takes a while to do a decent post properly. So there's really no point in pretending that it's going to be a, you know, worth $50 or whatever it's going to be, because, you know, you have to, you have to value your time. You really have to value your time. And for all the new writers out there, this is not something that you don't necessarily start out realizing this. You know, I, I, I did some crappy work at the beginning, you know, cause I, I came into freelancing after a five year break. I had no contacts. I had, you know, in the, in, during the break, everything shifted from offline to online. So it was almost like starting from scratch, except that I had writing experience, <laughs> but in terms of marketing, you know, so, but you very soon learn that there's no point in, in participating in a race to the bottom. It's not good for your writing career. It's not good for your self-respect and it's not good for your bank balance. That's all very true, you know, and the sooner, the sooner that you learn that, the better you're going to be. So it's, um, the thing about blogging, you know, we're talking about marketing here is that it kind of keeps feeding on itself, you know, especially if you're doing that bylined work or if you have your own blog to get your name out there. It's just one of those things where the marketing just keeps on feeding upon itself and just building. And that's fantastic because in other areas of freelance writing, you don't have that. So the sooner you start creating high quality content, because you don't want a blog with a lot of crap on it come five no. years from now, that's still going to exist. And you're going to have to decide, well, now do I delete all of that or do I start over or fix it all? And you don't want to be in that position. So the sooner you start writing high quality posts, the better. And if you're doing that for clients and if you're putting your name out there on like some content mills site or something like that instead, well, guess what? Five, 10 years from now, that's probably still going to be there. And yeah. you might you might not want it to be anymore. So <laughs> you might not want your name associated with it. Exactly. So you know. be careful where you're blogging. Don't do yeah. things just for the quick the quick buck now. And if you absolutely must for some reason write under a pen name, because <laughs> you don't want to be associated with crap content as you move no. forward. You know, just you have to be careful. So while the marketing feeds on itself, and that is a great thing. All that stuff you did in the past, that's good if it's great quality, but if it's not great quality, you could screw yourself over because why should a client tomorrow pay you $100 an hour or more if a few months ago you were willing to write for, you know, peanuts? Yeah. And actually that brings that, that that raises another good point, Jen. One of the things that I I changed over the years and I now recommend is that you put some rates on your site. You know, there, you know, there are a lot of freelance websites and, you know, it's, it's an individual choice for everyone. I accept that where, you know, people say um, prices are negotiable or whatever. But I find I found in my case that putting those rates out there makes a difference. It gets rid of the time 
wasters. It sets expectations about how I value my own work, and it starts the conversation at a different price point. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. Um, I'm totally with Sharon on this. Um, I am less flexible about it. I say put your rates on your website. You know, I don't care if you want to or not, just do it. <laughs> you know, this, this is one of those few things where you just need to do it. And here's the thing. I don't want to hear the arguments that, oh, but then I'll appeal to fewer clients. Well, it's like, sweetheart, how many hours do you have in a day? Because you don't need 50 freaking clients to fill a freelance schedule. You only need a few at any yeah. given time. So that is not a valid argument. And yeah. you don't have to have rigid rates. You know, you can have starting at rates or, mm -hmm. hey, your minimum budget needs to be, or there's an X number month commitment even, but giving them something to go on, yeah. it does. It really, really, really does. Like Sharon said, it cuts down on those time wasters. They're not gonna waste their time contacting you. And if you really find that you need gigs quickly, money quickly, you can always run a sale. Any freelancer who tells you you can never run a sale is full of shit. So ignore them. You can, it works if you must, but you always keep your real rates on your site so people know how you value yourself, even if you negotiate a lower rate temporarily. And this way, there's no question. Then they know you're going to raise your rates later, and this is what they can expect. Um, yeah. But have something, have something, you know, give examples of, you know, if a previous white paper, we're talking about blogging, but, you know, if you have an example you can give from your portfolio and say, you know, this is how much, you know, I was paid for X, Y, or Z, um, anything, just anything yeah. that gives them some kind of a context to how you value yourself, your time, your skills, it will cut down on those crap offers. It will attract people who have the budget for you. Because I can tell you as a client, I have hired countless freelancers, including bloggers over the years. And not just for me, but on behalf of my clients. And if you don't have your rates on your site, I'm not hiring you. That's all there is to it. Because <laughs> as a buyer, I consider it an insult for you to waste my time when your competitors are giving me all the information that I need to make a hiring decision. So if you can't be bothered to do that for me as a potential client, then screw you. I'm going to hire someone who tells, <laughs> I'm going to look, I'm just going to hire someone who tells me what they're worth and I'm going to look at their portfolio and I'm going to see if I agree. And if we're on the same page, that's it. You're hired. That's it. You know, if you don't have your rates, I'm done with you. And I've known clients who were like that, who have come to me and said they can't believe how hard it is to find this kind of information. And I don't mean budget clients. I'm talking about marketing firms and PR firms who they just don't have time to contact 20 different writers and be like, okay, how much would you charge for this, that, or the other thing? Yeah. And they want to know this information. And they've come to me and they've hired me and they've told me, you know, you're one of the few who I could tell was in the range that we were expecting, you know, as far as them looking for professionals, they didn't want to hire beginners who were charging $50 a post. They wanted people who valued themselves higher and they needed to see that. And yeah. they were having a hard time finding bloggers who would do that. And you want to be one of those that catches their eye. So put exactly. your rates on your site. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, because I, I, I change from have, not having them to having them. I know that I actually get more inquiries and more work now. That's what I saw <laughs> than too. I did, than yep. I did before. 
I saw but the same thing. While you were talking, what uh, you you reminded me of something because we were talking about one-off gigs the other day, uh, a while back. I mean, um, and one of the places where you can find good one-off gigs that sometimes turn into repeat gigs are some of the freelance marketplaces, and I'm not talking content mills. Oh, no, I'm talking oh, no. about. She's recommending bidding sites. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 I am not. I'm okay, not okay. Bidding sites. I'm oh, not good. content mills. I, um, I do some work occasionally through Contently. Okay, okay, that's, and, that's and a little different. And then there's another one called Clairvoice, and I think there's one more as well. And basically, they are a middleman between you and some big clients. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, and they pay the right kinds of rates. Okay, yeah. so this is not race to the bottom rates. This is not this is not fifty dollars for a five hundred word article. This is, I think, somewhere depending on the marketplace. One market one marketplace depending on the client you're actually working with, you could get anywhere between a hundred and fifteen to two hundred and fifty for the same length of content. Okay. And on contently, the, the rates tend to be even higher. That's good. That's good. Okay, so so that's a good place. Those are good places to sign up and put up your portfolio, because editors look through those and they'll approach you if they think you're a good fit. Yeah. And you know you can get occasional work to fill gaps. I mean, you know, you're not going to get rich on it. Yeah, and <laughs> just to be clear, what I thought she was talking about when Sharon mentioned <laughs> um, marketplaces were things like Upwork and freelancers. No. Stay, stay away from that. <laughs> stay away from Upwork. Stay away from Upwork. Definitely you stay know, away I hated from them Upwork. when they were Elance. I hated them when they were Odesk. I still hate them. <laughs> Same here. I've torn them apart, and I will link you to some of those too, so you will see why the hell to stay yeah. away from these sites. Don't but, go to don't go to no, those sites. No. They they want to control every aspect of your life and not pay you very much. <laughs> okay, so and I don't silence. know. I don't know. We need a new word for places like Contently, and I don't yeah. know what that word is because they're not the same as those as as those those bidding sites. I would say they're closer no. to maybe a content agency, we'll say. Yes. That might be a way to think about it. That's probably a better word. So content agencies can be a good way to fill some gaps in your in, you know in your in your bank balance yeah. and in your portfolio. And another I, one, I think CopyPress is another one. Uh, although full disclosure, they're a client of mine. So okay. I don't work through them. At least I can't <laughs> I can't tell you about the experience of I have being worked there. through CopyPress and I didn't work it's out. not fantastic. Aww. It's not fantastic, and they're not as well paid as some of the others. That how long? How long experience. ago? How long ago was that? I know they've that been through about, a lot. Of... That was about three years ago. Okay, I know they've been through a lot of changes where they used mm -hmm. to get they used to get lumped in with the content mill crowd, and their yeah. you know the guy in charge, Dave Snyder, um, has been working very hard to improve that. So I I do know they're better now than they were a few years ago. So you may want to see what they've got available. <laughs> They, they are certainly in, because I mean, I still get all their stuff. I'm still mm -hmm. technically signed up with them. They've done a lot in terms of um, making sure that they are getting good writers and yeah. they, you know, their pay is better than it used to be. Um, but out of all the ones I've worked with, Contently is the one that offers the best, the best, the best pay generally and the best, um, relationship with with the editors okay. I think for me that's, that's just my personal experience I did I worked with Skyward for a while as well okay. and, and I ended up writing for an IBM site via Skyward okay you know okay. so you know you can you can and and it was bylined so I was oh, able nice. to use it for marketing as well 
Okay. So you have to choose very carefully. A content agency can be a good thing and, you know, I'll go with Jen on, you know, copy press might be better. My, my top recommendation personally would be contently at the moment, but, you know, mm. sign up for all of them. Yeah, yeah, if you definitely, if you need filling <laughs> yeah. gigs. And I should just say, you know, that's not an endorsement from me on copy press. I just want to make sure that they were included. And like I said, they're a client, but I have not worked through them as a freelance writer. Um, they hired me for consulting for, um, they run a survey um, every year or two. Oh, yeah. And I had given them grief a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year about the survey results. And I didn't, um, they were asking me to promote the survey results and I was not too keen on them because some of the, um, in the data interpretation was way off. And so I gave them grief. They told me it was going to improve. And then they ran a new survey this year, or they had just released it or announced it. They wanted me to promote it to get people to take the survey. And I looked at it and found problems immediately. So again, I gave them hell for it. And, you know, in her defense, the girl who had contacted me to promote it, she forwarded my information to Dave, who, you know, is in charge over there. And so then he hired me to come in, not through their system, but he hired me separately to consult on their survey architecture okay. and to help improve the survey and then to you know help go over the data interpretation after so you know i wasn't there from the ground up in that i was brought in after the survey was there to help fix it um okay. but it's better <laughs> than it was a couple <laughs> of years ago and I, I think they really are trying so i will yes. say that about the company they really are trying i like i like dave snyder a lot i like the company but I don't work through these kinds of middlemen as a freelancer, so I can't, you know, vouch for the specific gigs that are there. What what actually what usually happens to me with these platforms is because I write about a bunch of stuff, and you know, one of the things I say very publicly is I like trying new web tools. As mm -hmm. people will say, "Oh, I've got this new site. Why don't you test it out? Here's a free trial." Mm -hmm. So I'll test it out, and Contently was one of those. They said, "Oh, sign up for our new portfolio." So I did just because I thought it was a really cool place to put my stuff. Okay. And then one of the editors contacted me. Now the the, the reason that I recommend them if you can get in, which is not necessarily so easy because they really are looking for high quality writers to match with their clients. But the reason that I recommend them is because in their system, you get paid immediately. Okay. Right? Once you have, once you have submitted a piece of work, the agreement is that if you, there's work to be done after it, you will go back and do it. But you know, once you have, once the price is agreed in the system and you press submit, your, the, the, your account is credited with the pay straight away. Okay. Okay. Well, so, good. you know, that can be a good thing for, you know, if you're looking for a little extra income and you can actually get in there, you know, and yeah. some of it is byline. So that's good to know, you know, because I haven't worked through them directly. So uh, yeah. through any of these companies, I don't, I just, I haven't needed to. So, but yeah, I mean, that's an option. Just be careful that you're not going to confuse them with the bidding marketplaces or content mills. That's really no. the trick no, there. Don't. So. <laughs> Um, yes, content agencies, not content mills. <laughs> yeah, and you know, middlemen in general, though, are really great for freelance bloggers. And one that I've had a lot of luck with, um, a, a type of middleman, are SEO firms. And I think a lot of freelancers, they avoid them like the plague because they assume that it's going to be low paying work. Well, that's true <laughs> for a lot of them. <laughs> for a lot of them, it is. <laughs> But what I do is I go in there and I teach them the value of high quality content and I help them sell their own clients on this professional, 
you know, well, blog posts. And we teach them about the PR value and the marketing value and that it's not just about having a blog there for SEO alone, that there are other benefits that make it worthwhile to hire a pro. Um, and I did the same thing with press releases. You know, I've had SEO firms hire me to handle press releases for all of their clients. And I did that by teaching them press releases are not an SEO tool, despite the fact that you are an <laughs> SEO firm and you need to use them right. It needs to be newsworthy. You need to have these kinds of angles to get real media coverage because exactly. it's not about getting a link on, you know, some press release distribution site. It's about the resulting media <laughs> coverage. And and I was right because Google eventually went and penalized the press release distribution sites So because SEO yep. folks were abusing them. Um, marketers ruin everything. So <laughs> they, they do. do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And it's frustrating for me as a PR person because they ruin our tools. But so that's how I kind of started working with SEO firms was through the press releases and teaching them how to do it right. And they would then get their clients to pay more to hire me because I could get them real media coverage. And then that kind of translated into handling blogging for them too. So, but yeah, marketing, um, SEO, PR firms, all of them have multiple clients and they'll often need blog content. So if you're a freelance blogger and you don't want to have to go out and find individual clients, start targeting the middlemen because they need freelance bloggers and they often won't advertise those gigs so you need to seek them out yeah yeah you know and you can you know you could you could often find people that use freelance bloggers you know sometimes sometimes they they'll be bylined and sometimes they won't if they're bylined you can usually tell if they have a range of writers you can tell that they're you know they're probably not all in-house yeah <laughs> you know so that's always a good starting point um, other than that, you, the other way that you can do that is by using something like LinkedIn and, you know, working through your contacts. Um, because as you said earlier, Jen, a lot of these gigs don't come, a lot of these, you know, these freelance blogging jobs don't come, they're not advertised, you know, they're word of mouth. Exactly. You know, um, I certainly, you know, I've, I've found that. Uh, I'll get approaches from people that says, oh, you did some work for such and such a person. They said you might be good for this. <laughs> you yeah. know? Those um, are the best kind. Which is great. Exactly. I mean, referrals are a big part of freelance blogging. Um, I've had clients where if they had to cut back on their blogging contracts because, um, you know, Google is such a big influence <laughs> on some of their blogs that yeah. if they get hit in Google, they might lose a lot of ad revenue because their traffic dropped and they can't afford to have as much new content. So, but when things like that happen, I've also had those clients who then help me without me having to ask them, they'll go and refer me to their friends to try to make sure that I'm taken care of because when they're ready to hire me again, they want to make sure that I'm still going to like them enough to come back. <laughs> and, you know, I had a client who actually launched a blog specifically so I would have somewhere to rant about an industry that I cover and um, because he enjoyed those posts so much, he thought it would go over really well. He actually launched a blog just to wow. have me be the freelance blogger for him. And that's commitment. It, it, it is. And that's the kind of relationship that you can build with some of these you know, clients as a freelance blogger if you're handling their content strategy or promotion or anything else. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I don't often take on the promotion of a blog. Um, I don't choose to do that, but you can make sure you're charging more if you do. Yes. So do you yes. do a lot of that, Sharon? I I avoid I avoid taking on the promotion. I really do. I, I did I did it uh, for a while. I used to write for a travel travel blog a few years ago, and they wanted me to do the whole thing, write the posts, yeah. promote it, do social media, and I did it for a while. But I really wasn't having very much fun with it, yeah. and they they were not very helpful in terms of owning their piece of the puzzle and yeah. recognizing their need to participate. So. It was like I was marooned out on an island with their content, <laughs> you yeah. know? No, I think that's, you know, that's kind of what it is for me, too. It was either they, you know, like you're saying, they didn't recognize that for the blog to succeed, they had to do something. Um, they have to promote it. They have to do their part. They have to send out their email newsletters. They, they have to do things or they're yeah. not going to see the value. And that's not on you as the blogger. Exactly. Um, but what I noticed too was that a lot of these clients who wanted me to do promotion, they wanted me to promote their content on my social networks. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> not happening. Just not happening because my audience is my audience and exactly. I'm targeting them for my own reasons, either because I'm targeting them as clients, in which case your stuff is not relevant to them. Or I'm targeting, like with Twitter, I mostly use it to connect with other writers um, and just to spout my mouth because why not? So, yeah. um, which I don't recommend for most people. So. <laughs> yeah, you have to be smart about the way you use social media. And yes. also, you know, your social media accounts have value for you as a freelance writer or blogger. Exactly. You know, um, there's, no, there's no way that you should expected to use them on behalf of a client you may choose to yeah if you think piece of content is particularly good now I use mine on behalf of clients but they use theirs on my behalf as well because okay. I write byline work and yeah. so you'll see a lot of stuff in my Twitter stream which is from one page CRM and crazy egg and mirror mm -hmm. for all of for I write for all of those um, and you know they'll tag me in the content when they share it and I'll share it because it makes me look good as well. Yeah. And basically it says to potential clients, you know, Sharon could write this kind of stuff, hire her. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's a different thing. You know, the stuff that's ghost written, unless it's something that I think is going to interest my followers, yeah. I don't I don't have to share it. And I never you know, my, my contract is very clear, actually. There's no obligation on my part when I, you know, to share anything on social media, to promote it in any way, or to even find images for it, because they pay me for the writing. If everything exactly. else that I have to do is extra. Now, you know, frankly, I'm quite happy to find one image. But if you're wanting me to find, you know, six or seven images and take lots of screenshots, you've got to pay for that. Exactly. As well. Definitely charge more for that. Yeah. Um, and same thing for like extensive interviews and such. If it requires more than an interview or two, make sure you're accounting for that extra time. Um, because basically you're writing a feature like you would for a magazine. You're not writing a traditional blog post. Um, and there's been a lot of overlap in that area where people, clients specifically, they don't necessarily understand that there is a difference between something like feature writing and what would be a more traditional blog post. Um, yeah. get paid more if exactly. you're asked to do that kind of work and that kind of in-depth work. 
Um, but yeah, so be careful with your social media accounts. You know, like Sharon said, um, my recommendation is if you are sharing something from somebody who's paying you, make sure it is disclosed. Use a client hashtag or something. Um, depending on where you live, you know, if you're subject to FTC guidelines, for example, you yeah. don't want to be promoting something that you've been paid for without disclosure. So you need to be careful. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I know you're not in the U.S., so it probably doesn't apply to you. So I'm, I'm not, although I write a lot for U.S. clients, and my site is hosted in the U.S., so I actually okay. prefer to disclose anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, if the client, reasons. yeah, if it's, your clients you know, in the U.S., you have it's to. It's better to be clear. Um, yeah. Usually, when I share my content, I'll say my latest on such and such a blog. You know, that basically says, you yeah. know, this is something someone's paid me to write. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, but that's a good point though, because you're not in the U.S. and some of your clients are. You have to understand that your clients are still subject to those rules. If they're exactly. based in the U.S., then you do need to disclose, or your client could get in trouble, and that's not good for your relationship with your client. So, no, best no, to be careful. Relationships are so important. Yeah. You know, if you spend time and you know you deliver what you're supposed to and you nurture the relationship, then it, it pays off. And it doesn't mean that you do it in a cynical way, because I have to say, you know, when I started blogging, I um, I didn't really know anything much about networking or anything like that. You know, I talked to a few people. We had some similar interests and, you know, we kept on talking. And then, you know, eventually people started referring work to me and things like that. But, um, you know, I have found that because I go out of my way to make sure that I communicate regularly with my clients and I over deliver when I can. Yeah. You know, or at the very least meet the agreed deadlines. Um, you know, it, it pays off in a good relationship, in flexibility if I happen to need it later, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's worth it's worth investing that time as well in developing your freelance blogging career. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we'd started talking about rates before and we didn't really we kinda of touched on, you know, minimum and how poor the market used to be and you know, I said I recommend starting at no less than $50 per post as a freelance blogger, but we didn't really talk about the higher end. And no, I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's important. You know, I think it's important for them to see the potential. So, you know, what I've noticed in advertised gigs, like we said, the best gigs aren't advertised, but even in advertised gigs, I've noticed them get much better where I frequently will see $100 per post gigs advertised. The concern I have with that. Um, it's a good thing. It's much better than it was a few years ago. But my concern is that what I hear from newer freelance bloggers is that they think that that is an incredible rate, that that's the top of the market, and it is not. Like, that is a mediocre rate. It is a low professional rate. It is a low professional rate. I mean, you know, I'm sure you don't do any work for $100. No. <laughs> not even close. And I, and I don't. No. You know, I think... Uh, you know, when you start talking about 250, 300, yeah. 400, 500, 600, yeah. depending on length and complexity and research, then you're getting more like it, you know. Yes. Um, I, would, I would say, you know, I'm usually quite happy to do something that I can do reasonably easily for 250. You know, if I'm feeling particularly generous, <laughs> you know, yeah. I may drop. I may drop a little, but I don't generally. <laughs> I'm not usually feeling that generous anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, I would.
would say for me, my bottom rate at the moment is in the 300 to 350 range. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's important that they hear these things, though, to understand that. Yeah. And if you're talking about, you know, I think on my site, you'll see that somewhere around 2 250 as a base rate, but that's for 400 yeah. words, 400 words. Yeah. Not many clients want something that short. So it's very unusual to have those gigs. They're usually much higher than that. And that's, you know, you have to understand that, you know, we're talking about ghostwriting versus bylined work. In ghostwritten work, especially with corporate clients or small businesses, it's not uncommon to get paid $500 or more per post. Exactly. And, you know, you have to understand that even though that sounds like a lot to you and you might not be comfortable maybe pushing that initially on clients, that you're still a lot cheaper than hiring some full-time staffer that they're paying taxes for and workers comp insurance and benefits so you're there just when they need you that's all they're paying for and you're not going to tell them how much that comes to per hour um no. <laughs> never that's your, that's your business. <laughs> exactly um but you're still a bargain to them because you know with, with that kind of ghost blogging and the reason you can get paid so much more it's not uncommon to get paid four figures for that matter proposed with this kind of gig. And that's because there are legal issues involved and you are essentially the voice of the company. You are the image that they're putting out and it's really important. And that's why it's so important to remember that there is a PR value and a customer service value and other value beyond just providing content. Exactly. Um, but if you understand that value and you can convey that value, you can make quite a lot of money as a freelance blogger. It is not capped at like a hundred or two hundred dollars proposed. No, not even close. Not, no, not even close. And and often the people that you write for will then want you to do something extra. So yes. I started out uh, last year I was doing uh, a blogging gig for a marketing firm. Um, and you know we had a, we had a, we had agreed a rate proposed which I, I can't remember what it is now. But then because I'd been working with them they wanted to do some white papers, some very yes. short white papers. Um, and they, you know, they were willing to pay fifteen hundred dollars uh, for one of them, and um, you know, some people have paid more. I mean, yeah, you know, definitely. I, you know, I mean, that's that's actually quite a low rate for a white paper. Yeah. But you know, for me at the time, because I hadn't done a lot, I was happy to do it so that I had it on, on, under my belt, and I could then say, I've done a white paper, <laughs> a Absolutely. recent white paper. You know. Absolutely. But, but then once you've done that, what you do is you go and you change your rates on your site. Yep. And you say, okay, so now I've got a, a little a little more recent experience that I can point to. You know, you know, you do two or three or four or five, and then you say, okay, I know what I'm doing. I understand the process. I think I'm now ready to move into the next bracket of this market. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, I've had similar experiences. You know, one of my longest clients um we don't work together much anymore but we did for maybe seven or eight years and had that had started out with blogging and that then progressed to copywriting and white papers and writing ebooks for him and um email marketing copy and um like press releases <laughs> i mean every pretty much everything i think there was a video script at some point um but it was just pretty much everything under the sun and now he still comes to me when he needs 
other bloggers, you know, my rates have gone up and, you know, because of Google and everything, his budget did not. So that's fine, but we still maintain that relationship. So if he needs something special done, he'll come to me. You know, we had, um, he needed something done for a newer site of his. Um, this is maybe a year ago he came to me. We, had, we weren't working together regularly anymore. And he needed something for this newer blog of his, um, a resource collection. It was literally just a list of links that he just wanted to know that he could trust somebody to go in there and find the best things to recommend. I got yeah. paid $540 for that. It was just a <laughs> list of links and like a little yeah. brief intro, like that was it. And yeah. But that's the kind of gig you'll find when you build those relationships like Sharon mentioned, where they trust exactly. you to come to you for everything. Um, so freelance blogging can lead to much more. So keep in and mind. And also, don't be afraid to raise your rates. Absolutely. If you're getting work at your current rate, then for the next quote you send out, ask for a little bit more. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And you know, in the space of six months, your C, your you know your floor will be much higher than it was at the start of the year. <laughs> yeah, and that goes back to the fact that we don't need that many clients. You know, I think that you're going to no. get to a point where you're going to be comfortable. Um, you know, I still have people who tell me, oh, you should raise your rates more. And it's like, no, I'm actually very happy <laughs> where yeah. my rates are because I did raise them. I actually lowered them a couple of years ago again, just a little bit, because what happened was I was moving from the small business market and then all of a sudden those prospects dried up. They weren't contacting me anymore. Instead, I was being contacted by corporate clients mm -hmm. and they weren't worth the headache. I didn't, yeah. you know, for that bit of extra money, I was getting so much more of a headache and I hated it. So I lowered the rates just a little bit and then the right client group that I wanted to work with started coming back. And, you know, I've mentioned on the site, my base rate, my get out of bed rate is $150 per hour. And yeah. that is the minimum, you know, it's not uncommon for me to get 200, 300, $400 per hour for my gigs. So when you're at that kind of a level, you don't necessarily want to raise your rates more if it's going to change your market. Now, if you're okay with those corporate clients, by all means, you know, charge <laughs> a lot more and take those corporate clients. I just, I think of freelancing as half business, half lifestyle. And that was a lifestyle yes. choice where I didn't want to have to deal with the lawyers and the, the marketing directors and the group meetings. You know, I, I just, I don't have time or energy yeah. for that. My, I just don't my, care. My perfect year was the year where I had one corporate client and then seven or eight small business clients. Mm -hmm. I made more than enough money. I only had one set of headaches to deal with and everybody <laughs> else was perfect. But you know, <laughs> but that corporate client funded a nice lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know? And look, not all corporate clients are bad. They're really not. It's just no, no, no. not, you know, you're, you're going to figure out what kind of client you like to work with. Um, you know, some prefer to blog for nonprofits, others are going to be small businesses, solopreneurs, you know, larger corporate clients, middlemen clients, and you can have a mix of them. You don't have to settle on one. I happen to like small businesses um, and solopreneurs. You know, I like working. I started out, you got to remember, in the indie music world. So I was working with independent creative, you know, artists. And that's why I occasionally I take on work for authors, indie authors in particular. And I still do that kind of work too. So independent and creative professionals is kind of where I specialize. And that works well for me. It doesn't mean that you have to do that. There is money there, but there's also a lot of, you know, <laughs> a lot of 
bottom feeding types who have no budget and want the world for it. Um, but you learn how to weed them out. So yeah, you do, you do. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's good to have, you know, occasionally a project that makes you so happy that, you know, you, 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 you'd almost want to do it for free, but you won't, yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, something that, that, that you really believe in, like, like, you know, if you're working for a nonprofit, because sometimes yeah. it's good to do to have that in the mix as well. Absolutely. You know, I do, I do some work for a local association. I do manage, so I do manage a social media presence for a local association, <laughs> yeah. um, which I do out of the goodness of my heart. But, yeah. you know, um, I don't advertise that service at all on my website anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there, there's a time and a place for that. You know, I'm with the I'm an active member of the Horror Writers Association. Yeah. And when they needed somebody to step in, I was their assistant um, coordinator of PR and social media for a while. That was a volunteer gig that yeah. I took on because it was really good for me to have that in my horror writing, you know, yeah. that kind of connection and association. And a part of that was managing one of their social media accounts. And, you know, again, that is not something I would normally do unpaid. And no. I, I built a website for them, too, for one of their campaigns. And they did pay me for that. But, you know, that that is something where I really cared about the organization. And I would have donated time anyway. Yeah. And things like that, that's fine. You know, that's actually a lot better than working for a content mill or something. Because it it's more respectable on your resume or portfolio. So well, because actually it. it's better to work for nothing than it is to work for a content mill. Yes. <laughs> that's just my view. It, it, it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. One or two nonprofits that are respectable, known nonprofits can be really great when you're starting out and you just need those few clips to say, hey, here's what I can do. Um, when I first got started and was doing PR work, I actually worked for our library system and helped them organize a campaign or two. And it was so much fun, you know, getting to do event stuff. And, um, you know, I had come from, I worked for a huge nonprofit. Um, I did some of their PR, major event planning, major fundraising campaigns and such before I went off on my own. So I had that experience and I really missed it. Um, you know, I didn't like working the politics of nonprofit, but you yeah. know, doing it on a limited basis, like a freelancer or, you know, yeah. a volunteer for limited projects, it was really rewarding. Um, so do something like that if you really need the clips. But yeah. yeah, you know, just something that you care about that you're willing to get behind, like Sharon had said. So Yeah. So, but then but but you know, that aside, you really want to make sure that you are doing the right kind of work to get the right kind of pay yes. and putting a value on your own services because Absolutely. you have to be in the driving seat. Very, very true. So let's touch on one more thing. Um, if somebody wants to make a living blogging, they kind of have two choices, two main paths they can take, which is freelance blogging, which we've been talking about, or they can try to monetize their own blogs. And I know yes. we, we both run our own blogs too. So yeah. I want to see what, what you think about that. What would you suggest in that sense? Uh, blog monetization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, the, I, I should start by saying that I'm not doing a lot with it now. 
because because basically I shifted I shifted focus and I didn't particularly want to do it on my business blog. So when I was running a writing blog, I did um, private ad sales. Um, I did uh, you know AdSense and things like that. Um, I think I and I did I did a couple of um, I shouldn't even admit to this, should I? I did a couple of paid posts before it was bad to do it. <laughs> you know, and but I must say I was very happy to give up very soon. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. Sometimes you do a thing, and you know, it's it's what's out there, and people are doing it, and then you think uh, somehow this doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know. Um, so at a point, I thought this doesn't feel right. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but when I had the, the blog and it was at it, the height of its success, you know, people were coming to me asking, asking to advertise and asking to run contests and offering freebies for my readers and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so that, those were some of the strategies that I used for monetization. And I did make several thousand dollars that way at the time. I'm not quite sure what you would do now. I think private ad sales and an ad marketplace could work. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. AdSense, if you're getting enough traffic, could still pay off, although not in the way that it used to, I think. It, I does, don't know. it do you... does well for me. It does well yeah. for me. <laughs> but you have a high traffic site. Yeah. That's been going for years. But I use it on smaller sites, too, that aren't. You have mm-hmm. to know, it's really important with AdSense um, that you know the particular niche you're in because it's terrible in some and great in others. You know, I'll give you an example is, um, on my old PR blog now, which now I don't monetize at all. Um, but that blog did very, very well with AdSense, particularly because the press release distribution sites were paying good money to, for those ads and they were ending up on a lot of that content. And then one of the, advertisers, one of the big sites started specifically targeting my site. Um, so that ended up paying pretty well. And same thing for my small business blog. It does well. It actually does pretty well for all indie writers. Um, okay. But on my old music site, terrible. So whereas I could get a dollar to $3 per click from some of these other sites, I might get five cents per click on the music yeah. niche site. So you really have to know where your stuff fits and yeah. if the bulk of your content is going to be worth monetizing that way. And for a lot of niches, it's not. Yeah. I, I was lucky at the time because, you know, I had get paid to write online, which was, which everybody wanted to find out about at the time. Yeah. So, you know, I got a lot of clicks, I got a lot of traffic and that worked really, really well. And then of course the other thing you can do is, um, affiliate products. Um, mm-hmm. again, I, well, with this, this, this was, this was easier for me. I, I don't promote anything that I don't believe in. Yeah. Same <laughs> so, here. you know, that really seriously cuts down on potential inf- affiliate income <laughs> because I've actually got to check out the products first and make sure I think it's good before I'm prepared to say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. I don't, you know, I can't, um, think of any other way it's worthwhile. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, your um, reputation. Yeah, so you know, I did. I, you know, I I publicized a couple of books um, 
that I'd read and reviewed that I thought were really good, that were aimed at the audience and, you know, a couple of products that I thought people could really benefit from. But once I, I, I changed the platform of that site earlier this year, so I no longer monetize it at all. I now okay. run it on Medium. Okay. Um, basically because I decided that I, I didn't, I was, I, I'd stopped I'd stopped posting, you know, after eight years, I felt like I, I didn't have much more to say yeah. in that forum anymore, <laughs> you know, um, but it was, but you know, people are still, people still go to the site and find the content useful. So I didn't want to kill it, but it just wasn't going to be active. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I decided I wasn't going to pay to host it anymore. So I put it on medium, put the best things on medium and got rid of the rest. Okay. okay. Um, and that's where it is. I'm still trying to decide what to do with it in the long run. I've got the domain name for another three years, I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know. That's good though. You know, you never know. So it's good to hang on to, you never want to give up your brand like that because then if you change your mind, you're screwed if somebody else takes it. So um, yeah. it's good that yeah. you have it and can decide, you know, if you decide to change your mind, it's there. Um, you know, I'm kind of in almost an opposite, I think, situation to you in that for me, I would prefer, I would give up freelance blogging in a heartbeat if I could go back to my, um, my own blogs. For me, like the ideal gig is not freelancing. I freelance because freelancing pays better than uh, my own blogs and indie publishing. It basically supports all of the other projects that I want to yes. do. And it's not that I don't like freelancing. It's just that I'm really selfish with my time in that I want full control. I don't want deadlines. <laughs> I just want to do what I want to do. And I'm just, I'm just one of those people. Um, so I'm trying to get back there and I've had, go ahead. No, 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 I can't disagree with you there. I mean, I've been feeling like that for probably the last year that, you know, things have to change because I've, you know, mm. you know, I'm a frustrated writer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is probably the last thing you'd ever expect me to say. I mean, I, I, I love blogging. I've, you know, I, I've, I've always enjoyed it, but, you know, blogging for clients is not enough, you know, yeah. and, you know, I have, you know, I write poetry, which I'm not necessarily planning to do anything with, but, you know, I have all kinds of ideas for both fiction and nonfiction books that I never seem to have quite enough time to realize. Yeah. Uh, so in an ideal world, I'd probably cut the freelance blogging down to 25% of my time and do my own projects for 50% of my time and have 25% of my time for traveling and hanging out with friends. <laughs> hey, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. That sounds like a good life to me. <laughs> so but, I yeah. think really, you know, by what I need to work on and what I am working on is trying to, to get that balance right. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like a curve because, you know, you start out in freelancing and you're probably not doing that much work. So, you know, it fits in very nicely and then you get popular and busy. Yeah. And it can it can almost take over your life. You and know, you know, it's I love for... working with my clients and I enjoy quite a lot of what I do. Not all of it, but most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being totally honest here. Most of it. Um, you know, I've worked with some great people, but I don't know that that is enough for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. You know, I've been saying for years I wanted to cut the freelancing out or slowly ease off of it to do these other things. And I just never do it. I keep getting sucked back down, you know, that, um, 
that trail, spills, that track. Spills, 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 spills yeah, after the <laughs> it's, it's, it's partly that, and I think it's partly, you know, I had gotten sick for a long time, so that took a lot of time away from my sites, and then after that, I did the merger, and the site really suffered after the merger, so it was like one big hit after another for my sites, whereas I used to have what I called my big three blogs, my, um, well, all, what's now All Indie Writers, and then, um, my small business blog and my PR blog and they used to that would have been a full-time living and yeah. you know now it's not so much and I'm trying to revive them basically I'm trying to recover everything that's gone wrong in the last few years <laughs> with them from all the time I've taken off to the merger problems caused a lot of technical problems that I, I should have mostly fixed now that we've got the redesign out of the way um, so really 2017 for me that's my big focus i'm not going to quit freelancing i you know i still i love the work i'm doing but it, for me it's about bringing those three sites back and i'm okay. hoping all so you're going to see a lot more <laughs> a lot more monetization on all indie writers so i'm sorry but you'll you'll be fine <laughs> yeah yeah no that's, that, uh, that, that's fine yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to do it in a way where I'm not expecting writers, the people who are coming to read the blog, to constantly lay out more cash. So yeah. you know, there will be a lot more affiliate promotions um, yeah. for things that I think you're going to find useful. But like Sharon said, you know, it's all stuff I use personally that I really recommend. We're going to yeah. talk a lot more about books in that um, we have a whole collection. We're going to be doing not quite a book club again. We've done that in the past here. But I'm going to be reviewing books that are not things that you would necessarily think to read as a writer, but that I think would really help you. Um, talking about things like game theory and persuasion and things like that, that you're going to need as a copywriter or as, you know, blogger or just a business owner. So yeah. we're going to be doing things like that. So I'll probably tie that to some affiliate promotions for those books. Um but you know i plan on having a lot more of the revenue come from the job board so the people who are hiring you yeah. as opposed to asking you guys to do things and there will be a lot more ebooks um the first one coming out will be a pay what you want scheme the whole permanently i don't plan to ever have a set rate for that one um and i'm going to see how it goes you know if that works then the future ones are going to be like that too if not then i'll go back to having a set price but there will be a lot more ebooks there will be a lot more affiliate stuff yeah. Um, the ads that are on the site, I, I don't think there's that many ads on the site right now. No, um, and, not. and if you register, which is free, not only do you get access to the forum, but the ads go bye-bye. So, <laughs> so it's really just, <laughs> for that, it's okay, more about, so a good reason for me to log into exactly, <laughs> exactly. No ads in the post then. Um, and the reason I do that is because. I'm not really trying to monetize those regular visitors. I'm trying to, that is a way for me to monetize those one hit wonders who come through a search yeah. engine to one post and never come back. And so that's what those are about. And that's worked really well for me so far. So, um, so yeah, there's gonna be a lot more monetization there, but I'm hoping that you're not gonna notice it too much. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> that's, yes, you do that, you let me know. You know, no, I, I, 2017 for me, I, I, I'm determined to get my ebook publishing stuff working properly and, and get some of those books. I've got good. a list of 12 titles that I've had for the last two years that I think <laughs> I'd like to write. I know what that and, feels like. <laughs> you know, and I really want to do that. And when I've got those out of the way, I'd like to try my hand again at writing fiction. 
because I've never actually finished one of my fiction projects yet. So Good. that is something that I'd like to do. And I, I did. Having said all that I've said about uh, about blogging, I actually started a new blog. Oh no! <laughs> What's I it did, called? I did on Medium. It's called okay. it's called um, beingsharon.com, and I you know I blog occasionally about things that matter to me. That's so nice. That's good. So there are not very many posts there so far. I think there's um, one about rape, one about race, and one about the election. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no holding back. <laughs> You know, but I, I felt the need for because as a freelance blogger, if you're having if you have a site that is for your clients, you, you're sometimes limited. Yeah. You may feel limited or inhibited about what you can post on it. You know, you're exactly. posting stuff that suits your audience. So I wanted to get back to being able to write about anything that came into my head somewhere whenever yeah. I felt like it. That was not necessarily targeted to a particular audience, not to clients, not to writers, but because it's what it is, I can write about anything I feel like there. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I actually have a domain that I registered this year for something similar, and I haven't launched it yet just because I just, I've kind of, I guess I've kind of been using Twitter in that way instead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I should say this, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have noticed I'm just a little bit political now but <laughs> just a little bit um yeah. I, I, I actually it's funny you know we had that whole conversation on the five book forum about politics and you oh know, i missed your that website. one I and missed having it. said no i don't do much about it in the last week i've just been sharing and talking about all kinds of things because how can you not <laughs> exactly exactly I mean, for me, like, and this is, I feel like I need to say this because I don't want people looking at what I'm doing and thinking that I'm endorsing that kind of use of social media. Um, you have to understand that I'm not targeting clients there. But more importantly, I've built a brand for a very long time that involves me spouting my mouth about whatever I want to say. <laughs> And I have that brand. Clients literally hire me because I can be a bitch. And I'm not afraid to stand up to them and tell them, you fucked this up, now we're going to fix it. That is what they hire me for. So I can do that. I can get away with that. I can have a disagreement on Twitter with a client, which I do sometimes about yeah. politics and such. And yeah. I can do that. That does not mean that you can do that. Now, if you're in no. a similar boat, maybe you can. But at the same yes. time, you need to understand who you're reaching and what kind of a brand image you want. If you have this nice, sweet, flowery brand image, you're not going to want to say the kinds of things that I'm saying on Twitter. Um, <laughs> if you have that more of a hard ass reputation and that's what clients want from you, then you can get away with a lot more. And mm -hmm. so I, I keep meaning to say that somewhere and it just never seems to come up when I mean it. I meant to bring it up in a podcast with Princess a while ago, but yeah. we just sort of glossed over the politics. But things yeah, like that, I, you have to be careful. Yeah, I, I don't have that same reputation, but I feel like I have a responsibility to say some things. Yeah. You know, and I figure that the people that are right for me exactly. will respond positively to it and the people that are wrong for me will ignore me or say something and then I'll know I'll know where they stand exactly <laughs> you know exactly you know I, my, my I, philosophy is if they voted for Donald Trump then I don't want their money so no, they, no, <laughs> that's exactly, all there is to exactly. it Go so home. I don't care exactly Keep your wallet 
in your pocket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but know? yeah, I mean, I'm not even I'm not even American. But <laughs> but, but it's you know, it's it's almost like a it's a world issue, and I and you know, yeah. I have American family, so I so I do yeah. have some stake in it in a sense because they are they are going to be directly affected by it. You know, it's true. But but it's a world issue too. It is, and it's the same thing. You know, earlier this year with Brexit, um, I was very right. I was. <laughs> I'm still in mourning, Sharon. I'm still in mourning. I'm um, still in mourning, and then on, and then on Tuesday, it's like somebody had sort of ripped my entrails out. <laughs> I, I'm with you. It's been that kind of year. Um, oh. I, I don't yeah. even. There's not even words to describe how no. I feel about it. No, no. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. You know, you just feel sick. Yeah, <laughs> you know? And, and I know this isn't freelance blogging, but so what? Know, we're we're, we're know, allowed but... to talk about this. <laughs> Exactly. I think, exactly. And I think know. it's important for bloggers, you know, you have to know that it's okay to have a viewpoint. Um, but think carefully before you say it, you know, when I'm on Twitter, and it sounds like I'm going off. Um, I'm not that's very well calculated. I know what my limits are. I know what I'm saying. And you gotta keep in mind too, I have that background in reputation management through PR, that I know what I can get away with. And I know what I can fix if I screw up. Um, yeah. but you have to, you know, don't be silent about things just because you feel like you have to censor yourself as a blogger or on social media. It's okay to have an opinion. And sometimes it's irresponsible to keep your mouth shut about certain things if you don't support them. And you need to find that balance for you, what you're comfortable with. And it depends how you're using your blog or your social media accounts. But, you know, Sharon and I can sit here and talk about this stuff and it's fine. We know we're going to be fine. Our clients aren't going to bail on us for it. If exactly. you're really worried that that's going to happen, then, yeah, censor yourself a little bit more perhaps for now. Um, but get a better feel for who your clients are as people. And this, this goes back to building relationships. You really want to know who you're working with. Exactly. Um, oh, who was it? Somebody, she had um, privately contacted me on Twitter to tell me that a client had ranted on another social network about how freelancers should keep their mouth shut about politics. Um, basically, it was a Trump supporter who was hiring her and she had said some things that were anti-Trump, not even anything extreme. Yeah. Um, and it was very clearly about her. And they then proceeded to make this um, passive aggressive attack yeah. on getting what you pay for, blah, blah, blah like insulting her work too. And it was like, wow, like they hadn't even finished a project yet. Um, yes, yeah, so it was like really unprofessional that they thought that they could share opinions like that online and that freelancers are somehow these special little creatures that we're not allowed to do that. No, no honeys. Cause you know what? You're a business owner. <laughs> you are a business owner. So that is up to you to decide. And you decide exactly. if you want to work with clients who have that kind of an attitude, or if you want to work with clients, who appreciate and respect that you're willing to speak your mind. And that is an individual decision, but don't be afraid to. There are clients out there who will respect that. Exactly. So I think you know. that's pretty much all we have for them, right? <laughs> so, yeah, we, 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 covered some, we covered some stuff. <laughs> you can make real money doing this, you know, you, um, you have you options. Be yeah, you your have. Your own income and value your own work. Exactly. And you have options, you know, you can do 
business blogging, ghost blogging, byline work, you know, is more of a publication style blog, like a niche expert. Um, and those relationships are really important. And just, you know, it's, you have, like, I don't know, it's just, it's so, it's such a wide open market, freelance blogging, you know, there's so much potential, you can go in all sorts of different directions. And don't, get yourself caught up in this. Well, here's what I'm seeing advertised. So this must be the best of what it is kind of thing, because you, you can go so far above that if you just get out there and try to meet people and get your name out there. So the opportunities are like endless right now. And can I add one more thing? Sure, Jen? absolutely. Just to, just to say that if you're, you know, if you're worried about what can I make as a freelance blogger, just Google the websites of freelance bloggers and yes. see what they're charging. Absolutely. And that will inspire you. And put your rates on your site. No, put, no, your rates, put your rates on your site because the ones who have their rates on their site, you know, you will find that many of those are not going to be anywhere below $150. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So that, you know, that tells you what kind of market you can be in. And then, you know, do some more. Google them and see where they're publishing for. Because if you know that they're freelance bloggers and they're writing for sites, then those sites must hire freelancers, right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one more quick tip out there in there too, we had talked about job boards and advertised gigs. One option that I've given on the blog before that you should keep in mind is, you know, you can go to job boards and I'm talking like big job boards like Indeed and things like that. Um, don't search for freelance blogging gigs. Search for editors. When they're hiring full-time editors, watch those job descriptions and you'll see oh you're going to manage a team of freelance bloggers because these companies often don't advertise for those bloggers but if you're seeing that they're hiring an editor who's going to work with them then you know that they're hiring bloggers so pitch them so that's another way to find some of the higher paying gigs out there sneaky little workarounds <laughs> so okay i think that's all we have for you today so check back next week and i will be getting back to our community question series where I will talk about balancing different types of creative projects. And if you want me to tackle something specific in a future episode, you can submit your writing related questions through the contact form at allindiewriters.com slash podcast by emailing me at Jen, that's J-E-N-N -N, at allindiewriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 34. You can also access this podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a freelance theater production. Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.